0: of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, creator and host, film critic, creator and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers and shakers, the TV and filmmakers, the writers, directors, producers, actors, costume designers, composers, uh, film editors, sound editors, mixers, you name it. We talk to them. And of course... We love our indie filmmakers. Um, that's one of our big, 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 big supports uh, with Behind the Lens are our indie filmmakers. And we've got some amazing indie filmmakers joining us in today's show. Uh, at the midpoint of our show, this story of a documentary, Anatomy of Wings, I cannot wait to talk to the co-directors and co-producers, Nakia Redmond and Kirsten Deandra Deandra Hollander uh, from Baltimore. They have this wonderful documentary. It's been 10 years in the making. And it will be screening at Slamdance starting February 12th through the 25th. Slamdance, of course, is virtual this year. Uh, for the film festival. But uh, this is a really interesting film. It started as an after school project uh, at Dunbar Middle School. And Kirsten and Nakia started mentoring these girls, basically in Dunbar, an in inner city school in the Baltimore area. And they put cameras in their hands. And the girls started documenting. 10 girls, and they started documenting their life. But this went, and it was supposed to be, you know, a semester or a year after school. And it grew into the next year and the next year, and more girls joined. And the girls became so invested in each other and so much a group that even as they went their different ways come high school... And relocations of one of the girls across the country, they still stayed in touch. Still, some of them kept shooting, um, but this documentary is a ten-year journey uh, that where these girls started and where they are now. And one thing it it really shows us is the importance of after-school programs. With schools, because it's not just about the program; it's about the byproduct of that, um, which is the camaraderie, the friendship that comes. So I can't wait to talk to Nakia and Kirsten. Um, and I can't believe this film is in Slam Dance. This, for my money, is more of a Sundance film than Slam Dance. Slam Dance, you think more offbeat films sometimes, um, but this one. It it's wonderful, absolutely wonderful, and I cannot wait to talk to the ladies about this. But before Nikki and Kirsten, this is this is a man I can't. I am so excited to talk to him. Ravine Gandhi has made his first film, his writing and directorial debut, with a film called One Hundred Days to Live. Very very interesting film it's got so many twists and turns it's a thriller about a serial killer but everything is not what it appears to be but what's interesting here is ravine he is ceo of gmm nonstick coatings company they're the company that provides and you've heard me talk about nonstick coatings before Two years ago, in connection with Dark Waters, the Todd Haynes movie about the DuPont litigation uh, that's been going on for years about the C8 chemical. That is, that's what's in Teflon and makes things nonstick. Um, but Ravine is CEO of GMM Nonstick Coatings, and they supply for Cephalon, Tefal, all of this. But he just decided he loves writing, apparently. Um, we're going to get into this with him. When he, uh, shortly, but he loves writing. Wanted to make a film. Finally decided, heck, I own the company. I'll take a few weeks off and I'm going to make a movie. And that is exactly what he has done. I love this film. I did not see the multiple twists and turns coming. He's got a great cast, including one of my longtime favorite character actors, Jack Ba. Uh, Yancey Arias, he's been in Live Free, Die Hard, Bosch, Queen of the South. Um, He was Colonel Ramon in S.H.I.E.L.D. Slingshot and on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's been in Castle Bones, CSI, Charmed. uh, All the way back in 2001, Hawaii Five-0. So excited to see him uh, in 100 Days to Live. Um, Other supporting cast, Gideon Emery, Colin Egglesfield, uh, Heidi Johanning-Meyer, just I can't. I'm very excited to talk to Ravine about this, and also his craftsman, his his crew. He's got Nicholas Puetz as his cinematographer, but, and this excited me. His editor on this film is Ethan Manakis. Ethan. Uh, did the editing for Jonathan Jakubowicz on Hands of Stone, the Roberto Duran story starring Edgar Ramirez playing Roberto Duran. So I'm very uh, this, this is fun. I mean the guys the CEO of a company who decides I'm gonna make a movie. So for everybody out there, all of you want to be filmmakers, hey, it doesn't matter what you're doing what you're doing. you can always make a movie. So, uh, very, very excited to have Ravine uh, so we can talk to him. But uh, we've got a few other films that have come out recently and are coming out this week that I really can't encourage you enough uh, to see. Starting this coming weekend, you can have a perfect double feature. You love horror films? Do a double feature with Legend of Fall Creek that is coming out and, and add on to that Black Pumpkin. We briefly talked about Black Pumpkin back around Christmas time, uh, Ryan McGonagall's film. And wa- somehow in the distribution process, it came out before Legend of Fall Creek, which is actually the prequel to Black Pumpkin. And it involves canyons and Halloween and pumpkins and lots of death and blood. Uh, it's a fun double feature, folks. It is a fun double feature. For those of you looking for something different to kick off your year, or it's perfect Valentine's viewing, uh, an incredible film, Vigo Mortensen, writer director falling, starring Vigo Mortensen and Lance Henriksen. This film tackles the issue of a father and son dealing with Alzheimer's. Father. Descending into Alzheimer's, being overtaken by Alzheimer's. It is a, it's an emotional powerhouse. I've got to tell you. An emotional powerhouse. Um, there's a, the character, it mirrors society in many respects. There is a complicated emotional complexity. Uh, Lance Henriksen's performance is stunning. Uh, Vigo, of course, plays... Uh, Lance's son Laura Linney plays his sister Um, deal with anger rage confusion it's a non-linear generational story and once you start watching it you cannot stop Uh, the performances just reel you in Uh, I can't recommend it highly enough that just opened just released this weekend Another film that is out there, if you're looking for a really good documentary, uh, there are two of them. Toxic Pigs of Fukushima by Otto Bell. Many of you know Otto's work from The Eagle Huntress several years ago. Uh, Toxic Pigs of Fukushima is, it's a stunner. It's roughly, it's 27 minutes long, I believe it's a short. And it's shot in Fukushima, which is where the nuclear disaster after the earthquake and the tsunamis in Japan occurred. And there is so much cinematic quality to this short, as Otto and Simon Niblett, his cinematographer, and Simon's work is always stunning. Uh, Simon worked with Otto on Eagle Huntress as well. But they go into Fukushima, and where all life is, was wiped out from radiation and tsunami and earthquake, life has come back. And the town has been really overtaken by the wild boars, who are toxic from what they're eating in the ground. But we go on this journey, of a, and they have to go in and kill them, and kill the wild boar, and get rid of them because of the toxins, uh, and because they are over, essentially kind of overrunning the town. And the government would like to get the town, people back into the town, which is been a ghost town for all these years Uh, much of the film is shot at what is what is called tatami level whereas you're sitting on the floor and your eye level if you'd be sitting on the floor which metaphorically is eye level of the wild boars so it's cinematically it's really interesting it's beautiful nature is celebrated but it's a very quiet film there are no talking heads You hear voices of the people from Fukushima, the ones who are displaced, the ones who want to go back. Um, It is a beautiful, beautiful short film, and I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, But right now, we are going to switch gears because we have Raviyan Gandhi with us. Hello there. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much.
0: I I'm in love with 100 days to live.
1: You know, that's music to my ears. Wow.
0: <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. It's, this is essentially it's like a crime thriller, a psychological thriller, a thriller. We've got a serial killer. We've got books being left, photo albums being left, near dead bodies. And it's like, wow. And you take us on this journey, and you throw in some twists and turns here that I didn't even see coming. We get to that third act, and it's a roller coaster, and it is fabulous.
1: I I, I love everything you're saying. I couldn't have (laughs) scripted it better. I mean, when I came up with the idea for the film one day, it was that third act, and then I just worked backwards trying to figure out a way that was plausible that would get you to that point.
0: That third act had me on the edge of the chair, and I could not believe what you did with that. And we're not going to reveal anything, so I hope we're piquing everybody's interest here and curiosity that they have to see this film.
1: <laughs> I, I completely agree, and and it's just been so gratifying to see, I mean, first of all, the fact that the movie even got released and did well at a festival, and I see all these reviews coming in, and there's a lot of people who feel basically the same way that you felt, and it's just so, it's such a great feeling.
0: You know, where did the idea for this film originate? This is not exactly what you think of in the morning when you're, you know, opening the box of cereal and pouring it in the bowl.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. My my wife, I'm sure, would like to uh, give you her theory on where it came (laughs) from. But from my perspective, you know, I've always been a huge film fan, I've always wanted to make a movie, but for decades, as an entrepreneur, I had no time. And one day, as a big consumer of serial killer films, as well as films that had big twists, I had this idea, and I thought, oh, this is pretty original. I actually don't think this has been done. And I don't know where it came from, um, but it just popped into my head. And obviously, as anyone who has seen the film knows, it's set in the world of mental health and suicide. And I had some close relatives have some pretty serious uh, mental issues one person actually committed suicide so that i'm sure was probably floating around in my subconscious but mm-hmm. that's all i can say about it
0: yeah i it's you know it is totally out of the ordinary i don't recall in all the thousands of films that i see i have never seen anything with a setup like this and a payoff like this we get serial killer films yeah we got plenty of them out there but it's what you do with the serial killer
1: yeah i really um just the notion of payoff yeah. has always been important to me and and we did many test screenings when we were in the edit where we would get 30 to 60 people in a movie theater and they would fill out forms and we with my editor Ethan Maniquist we were able to finally Cut to the heart of things, where for at least that first half of the movie, Mm. you may not be sure why we're showing you everything. But by time you get to the end of the film, you go, "Oh, okay." I get, you know. So we we tried to cut out every single thing that was inessential to to really have that payoff.
0: Well, and this is this is one of the great things about this film, Ravine, is your editor. I am such a huge fan of Ethan's work. He cut hands of stone for my friend Jonathan Jakubowicz. Um, Ethan is an incredible editor, and editing is where you really can find the heart of your film.
1: He is such a pro, and uh, I moved him to Chicago for three months in a new apartment three blocks from my house, so (laughs) I would always go over there and, and sit with him for hours and hours. And he was just so great in the way that he would say, okay, well, what are you kind of looking for here? And I would say, well, you know, this and this and this, and he would come back and be able to translate what I said into such a tangible form. And then if I said, well, actually, now that I see it, I'd like to do this different thing. (laughs) He was able to just forget all the hard work he had done on a certain sequence and take it in an entirely different direction, as if it never even existed, and it was just absolutely phenomenal this movie would not have been close to as good as it was without even
0: he is so gifted he he truly is a storyteller in his own right um well he's
1: a director i mean you yes. know he's a real filmmaker oh, yeah. i've read many of his scripts i mean he's a real star and i was just so lucky to get him during this down period where he had a few months off um but he's i would say throughout the entire process of me deciding to make a movie and, and taking a few weeks off of my job and just this whole crazy story he has emerged as the person who was like the, the judge the person whose judgment I trust absolutely the most mm-hmm. from a cinematic storytelling perspective
0: so this uh, this whole idea of you being CEO of a company and taking the time off to make this film it just flabbergasts me. Uh, <laughs> so many people they say I'm gonna make a movie I'm gonna make a movie I'm gonna make a movie. But they have this excuse, that excuse. Um, you being CEO, that is very time consuming. And as an entrepreneur with other business ventures as well. But you still, you said, all right, that's it. I'm going to make a film. So, by work. I'm taking off <laughs> for a few <laughs> weeks. Um, you know, when you decide to do that, how do you shift gears in and put on your director's hat and jump into a full-blown film production?
1: Well, I had done a lot of preparation before we started shooting, so I had uh, storyboarded the entire movie um, where you know, I spent a few days you know, crawling around on the floor of my office with the storyboard artist saying, okay, in this scene he's <laughs> doing this, and in this scene I want it to look like this. So by the time I had a DP, I was able to show him basically a three hundred page PDF saying this is what the movie's going to look like. I didn't go to film school. I've just been a, bit, a film fan, so I've learned how to make movies basically by watching directors' commentaries
2: hmm. and behind
1: the scenes. And in a lot of good movies, you can see the storyboard. So, so I felt very prepared on one hand, but then on the other hand, as an entrepreneur. To be successful in anything, you have to know how to get something from point A to point B, mm-hmm. and you have to be aware that there's going to be tremendous obstacles. There's going to have to be a lot of um, thinking on your feet, a lot of leadership, a lot of times where you have to project tremendous confidence, even though inside you're freaking out and you have no clue what's going on. And I'm <laughs> that those kind of things came fairly natural to me just based on my entrepreneurial experience. So I got very lucky that there is a corollary between. I think business success and being a film director. We'll we'll see if any other business people emerge and go try to start making making movies.
0: Well, you know, something that I find, you know, there are a lot of similarities to helming a film project and running a company. Um, one of them is the hiring "quote unquote" casting process. Now, it's one thing to get your team behind the behind the lens, behind the camera, with your cinematographer and your editor and your composers and etc etc it's another to get your talent in front of the camera and i have to commend you on the cast that you put together forget about the fact you put yourself in the film okay you know it was we get to see you that's very (laughs) low and you're cheap labor so it's very important uh when you're an indie filmmaker but your cast ravine is amazing i uh, the minute i saw yancey Arias, i was thrilled Uh, I'll see him in anything.
1: Yeah, he's a pro's pro, absolutely. And he was good friends with um, one of my producers. So I was very lucky to get Yancy. And with Gideon and Colin and Heidi, it was almost like, like your, your, your point about hiring and casting is so correct. You see a lot of people, either for a certain job or, in this case, for a role. And the second you see someone that just feels right, you know, looking at the monitor, Mm -hmm. I just knew it immediately when I saw those three also beyond Yancy and it's so true that the camera loves certain people when Heidi walked in I just looked at her and even before she started doing the lines I said I completely see Rebecca Mm -hmm. the first time and then with Gideon my Victor Quinn character my bad guy is a very very uncastable part it's a very crazy character that has insane motivations it's going to be so hard to make it plausible and the first time I saw his tape, I thought, I can make this movie. That guy, I believe what that guy's doing. And he's, he's you know, British via South Africa with a very strong accent. And in the movie, he speaks American just perfectly.
0: He has no and, accent.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and Colin also, the, the joke on set was that, uh, you know, I was kind of killing off the, the rom-com lead decks from Something Borrowed because this is a very <laughs> different type of role than rom-com. So this movie would have been a travesty, an absolute travesty without the, that cast.
0: Well, and and what I love about this cast is Heidi Johanningmeier, as Rebecca Church, she runs a suicide group. Um, she's a therapist, she runs a suicide group, and she gets engaged and her fiance, who's played by Colin, disappears. Is he dead? Is he alive? And which is how she ends up meeting Yancey's character of Detective Byers. The chemistry that Heidi and Yancey have on screen together—you know, working together with, you know, the things that come with dealing with a serial killer and clues that may have been left—they explode on screen.
1: Completely. And what's particularly interesting about that dynamic between Heidi and Yancey is in many of their scenes, there was actually a lot more lines. You know, as a first-time writer, I tend to overwrite sometimes, and I tend to be too on the nose sometimes with dialogue. And there was a lot of times when Ethan and I were looking at it in the edit, and we would try things like let's just get rid of these three lines and go to their faces, mm-hmm. because you see so much on their faces, to your point about yeah. chemistry, and then the scenes would just totally pop. So, you know, you can't you can't ask for that stuff. It's just the right cast and the right chemistry.
0: I mean, the two of them, I'm watching them, and it's like, you really want to see the two of them get together.
1: <laughs> well, I will let you in on a secret that a sequel? I haven't... Uh, a sequel? I've actually never said... Um, and I don't want to give anything away here, but at the end of the movie, there is a scene that does kind of, you know, tease that or imply that. Yes. And in my, one of my uh, late versions of the script, it actually did happen uh, between those two. Oh. But as we went, and we did shoot some of the scenes, but they didn't make the movie because when we were testing it, yeah. as you know, we're, going, we're already challenging the audience with such provocative stuff, that adding that element just was a little too much. But, But it was definitely in my mind, and I tried to leave a twinge of it, which you picked up on.
0: Oh, I mean, it's, I just, you hope that, I mean, you've got this great final shot in the film that's light and bright, and this is a testament to your work with your cinematographer, with Nicholas, because of your visual tonal bandwidth and how you do keep the visual tone light considering the darkness of the material that you're dealing with here but the final shot of the film light bright hope inspiration it's it's fabulous and you know for my money it's like okay rebecca rebecca's heading off somewhere with with detective Byers.
1: (laughs) (laughs) and you never know you never know you You know know. um it's definitely you know you you bring up the the lighting. Um, Nick Putz is also someone I really have to give a shout out to because he was very, very patient dealing with me uh, in preparation and listening to all my kind of crazy ideas. And he he was really good at saying, okay, I hear everything you're saying, let me try one thing and show it to you Mm -hmm. and see if you like it. And a lot of times the things that he would audition for me um, were, were completely perfect and not exactly what I was thinking for initially, but then, you know, he's he's this uh, like a lighting savant. He's really, really good at it, and I think the film is just so much stronger because of that.
0: And I love the tones that are created here. You have dis- there are distinct looks for where the suicide group m- group meets. There is a distinct look for Rebecca and Gabriel's apartment, um, which is palatial to say the least. And Which is my house, by the way. Oh my God, I hate you! Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's gorgeous. Your light fixtures are stunning.
1: Yeah, my wife would be loving you right now. She's a designer, so she oh. literally designed those uh, chandeliers, and she does all this vintage stuff. So that we didn't have any production design in my house. It's just literally my it, house.
0: Your house is gorgeous. The use of glass, um, you know, the openness of the windows, just fabulous but you you get the
1: scene where uh you know gabriel talks about wanting to learn to play guitar Mm -hmm. those three guitars are my guitars that hang on the wall that i'm looking at as we speak (laughs) you know because i've played guitar for many years so as i wrote the script having read a lot of stories about how to do indie films one of the axioms is write your possessions into your script Write right locations you control into your script so so i did that the restaurant where they got engaged is two blocks away from my apartment. The police station is my friend's company that's four blocks away. So I just pulled in all forms of favors <laughs> so I could actually get this movie in the can in those three weeks.
0: Wow. But the you get this great warmth uh, within the home, which contrasts the colder, more bluish tones of, uh, you know, although intimate of the suicide group when it meets totally different than than what's being created by our our killer victor and the world that he's in and it really helps define who these people are and where they are in their life and very and your home serving as the home for rebecca and gabriel that it more or less as we see it almost at times feels like a facade like does she really fit there does gabriel really fit there you know what's going on um
1: stunned. you know as a film as a film nerd i just love seeing that you picked up on all these things that we put in there you know when we were in post and doing all the color as a novice i'd never been in a, a post production house before and when i met the colorist at uh, Periscope where we did our our post, we started experimenting with this stuff, and I was just blown away what you can do with color. Mm-hmm. You know, with the with the Victor sequences and the flashbacks and all of that warmth and coolness was so intentional. And you just never know are people going to pick up on it, but, you know, just hearing you say this is just so awesome.
0: And it just, it adds so much to the story. It really yeah, adds the,
1: the, to it. And... No, I, I, this is awesome. You know, I'm such a rookie with, with filmmaking because I've never done this before. So, just doing all this media in the last week or two, as we're getting these reviews, and, you know, so many people are watching the movie right now. We're in the top 20 uh, on Apple, you know, even against all these huge budget movies all weekend. So, I'm for the first time in my life starting to talk about, you know, the movie. It's just so cool to like, hear that people are picking up on these things. It's just awesome. <laughs>
0: Well, and another element that you have here is your score. The score has a great fluidity. And it it what I really appreciate with the score here, and you watching, watching films and being a film fan uh, will understand this, so often you get scores that lead. They're telling you what you're supposed to feel and where you're going rather than following what is actually happening or being said. Here, your score does not lead. It's an undercurrent yeah, it, that follows. Nima Fakara
1: and and Navid Hajazi. I actually met them through Yancy. They they were friends wow. with Yancey. So after we were uh, in post, Yancey introed me to Nima, and I was in L.A. And when I met him, you know, he we we looked at the whole studio that he had, and the ability for him and Navid to both, you know, just take my kind of you know, paragraph summaries of each sequence and translate it into an emotion to your point that that doesn't lead. Because that's, I think, where things become cheesy, when you don't feel an emotional congruence to what you're hearing, you know, when the visual and the audio doesn't match. And they were so able to use strings and match my desire to make it classical and not Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, Techno, so to speak, with you yeah. know a lot of uh, thrillers, and they were just phenomenal.
0: Yeah, this harkens back to what you would expect from uh, Bernard Herman or a Max Steiner.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, we we were definitely thinking of of uh, they were on our kind of mood board
0: mm-hmm. So you know, I've got to ask you here, you know, Orvien, what what was your learning curve like going from CEO of a company to filmmaker?
1: You know, it it was surprisingly, it was insanely hard, and yet, on the other hand, it felt completely natural. That's the only way I can describe it. Um, From day one on the shoot, I could tell that everyone around me, from all the grips and the gaffers to lighting people and even the actors, there was a lot of anxiety that first half day, like, can this guy manage this? this beast and i could just it was so nice in the first one or two days three days seeing everybody kind of nodding going hey this guy actually looks like he knows what he's doing and a few times when you you know you're running out of light or you only have 30 minutes left before the sun goes down or we have to decide what scene do we not do in order to prioritize something those areas just came very natural to me because i'm used to making decisions on the fly you know with, with my business and there was a lot of corollaries when I announced that I had made this movie on CNBC, because I, uh, I do a lot of stuff with CNBC, they let me put a 10-minute behind-the-scenes feature you know, up on the announcement. Mm-hmm. So anyone can just go on to that article on CNBC and see this 10-minute behind-the-scenes feature where you see me directing, and sometimes I look really confident, and sometimes <laughs> you see that learning curve. But it's just like anything else. You, you, you have to do it. If you sit there and worry and worry, you will never accomplish anything and i'm very much a a doer and you know you can listen to what people say but watch what they do so experience is the best teacher and yeah i got a little bit bloody but i've emerged through <laughs> the other side and i'm not at all turned off by filmmaking and it's just been very gratifying so uh, i've got nothing but good things to say
0: so will we see another film from you
1: i hope so i, I really hope so i mean i am running this uh, pretty sizable business right now and and my, entire customer base and vendor-based and and employee base were stunned that I had made this movie and everyone's been so supportive. My board of directors has been so supportive. Everyone's thought it's such a cool, passion project. I would definitely have to have the stars aligned from a work perspective to do sure. another film. But, you know, it's about finding the right script and what do I write it or do I, you know, acquire a script. But without sure. a doubt, I think filmmaking is a good match for my personality because I am a very project oriented guy i like big audacious goals that have a beginning a middle and an end and having my film out there right now for the whole world to see and seeing that thousands of people are watching it and we're getting thousands of of uh, imdb reviews i mean it's just so cool
0: and unfortunately we're almost out of time here but before i let you go i could talk to you forever about this film i love this film so much and I just love what you did, just jumping in there head first. But where can everybody find 100 Days to Live?
1: Okay, well, it's, it's available right now. Apple TV, Amazon Prime, Vudu, DirecTV, Google Play, Xfinity, iTunes, YouTube, Fandango Now, PlayStation, Xbox, Redbox. It's basically on every single
2: platform. transactional
1: video on-demand platform. In the next 60 days, we hope to have a very big announcement about which uh, household name streaming service has picked this up, but I can't let that cat out of the bag.
0: Oh, oh, I have to die for weeks then.
1: Yeah, it's going to be about six or seven weeks before we can announce
0: Oh, torment me. Torment me, why don't you? Oh, my God. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. I hope you'll come back again. Um, And I just, I love this film. I want to see you make
1: more. I, I I, think we you're preaching to the choir, so I'm very, very <laughs> happy to come on the show anytime. I love the fact that you're such a sophisticated, you know, viewer. It's just music to my ears.
0: Oh, Ravine, thank you so, so much. 100 days to live. Everybody can see it right now. After my show's done, you can go and you can log on and you can buy it and watch it.
1: So... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. Th- oh. th- thank you. And and we've been getting a lot of national media as well. So if anyone just googles Hundred Days to Live and hit news or videos, you'll see my cast all over NBC in Chicago, New York, Miami, Philadelphia, LA. There's a lot of media attention, so it's 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 definitely gonna be hopefully on the national zeitgeist
0: soon. Oh well. Thank you so much. And fingers crossed for another thank film. You very much. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. And that was Ravin Gandhi talking about 100 Days to Live. And now, we're switching total gears here. Pam's going to ke- bring them live for me now. Are the ladies here, Kirsten and Nakia? Yes, hi. Hello. Do I have both of you? Hi. Can yes. I'm you- here, Debbie. Yay. Anatomy of Wings. Ladies... Wow. What a documentary. What a documentary. Um this is it's an amazing story. This is an amazing story. The Wings Group. I think there should be something like that as an a- starting as after school programs everywhere. What you have done is astounding. Wow,
3: that means so much to hear.
0: Yes, thank you so much for saying that. Um, you know, who had whose idea was it from the start? At the top of the show, I, w- I-, I gave the lay of the land to everybody about the story, about after-school program for, the- for girls at Dunbar Middle School. Um, we're going back over 10 years now, and girls got involved. And you captured all of this. You taught them how to use cameras and, and basically gave them a fundamental, um, television basis or filming basis. But it grew to be so much more than that. Um, this, this is just, if everybody, anybody wants to know why we need after school programs, all they need to do is see your documentary to see why, because this is so far reaching.
3: Wow. And that's Debbie, that's, you know, that's really our dream, uh, that people will walk away from this film understanding that this model of um, intimacy, you know, where you can have mentorship model, where um, we keep saying, wouldn't it be amazing to have 10 groups with 10 girls versus one group with 40 or
0: 50 girls? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely! You know, how did what prompted each of you to want to be a mentor? That's a well, great for question. Me, Do you want to go
3: first,
4: Nick? Oh, oh sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. I am
4: um, I feel like for me, I really wanted to be of service, and it was just a great experience when I started to volunteer. Um the space was just so open and welcoming that I felt like it was the perfect place for me to, to be a mentor.
0: Now, did you have any experience, any film experience or television experience working with equipment at that point, Nakia, when you first got drafted by Kirsten? I did have
4: some experience as a young person, as a teenager Mm -hmm. in East Baltimore. We used to, um, video the, um, elderly in the neighborhood, and also politicians was um, a part of the East Baltimore Historical Library Project. Um, that would, had been the only experience I had in making films, other than the fact that I was filmed by a few people before, as mm-hmm. a youth, um, for work that they did. But Wings really was a different type of filmmaking experience, because <laughs> for me, I was filming other people, but in Wings, we were really filming each other. Mm-hmm.
0: And Kirsten, yeah. what yeah. I know that at the time you were you weren't working, um, you didn't have a full time job, and but what spoke to you that made you say, "I want to mentor. I want to develop this program."
3: Wow. Uh, well, we you know Nikia and I had originally met volunteering um, for a group. That was run by our friend Allison Welch. And they were, they started out doing art and yoga and sailing. Mm -hmm. And it, they're just through a natural occurrence of events. We, um, we needed to kind of revamp and, uh, see how we could sustain. And at the time, I was teaching either drawing, (laughs) like literal drawing with charcoal observational drawing. And I was also, uh, Teaching video skills part time um, at MICA, uh, the college where I teach now in, in Baltimore, and it just seemed that it, it just seemed that, and, and also I think it's important to say. So this is 2008, and it's mm-hmm. before we can um, video with our cell phones, right? So it just seemed like the most powerful thing to do was could we raise some funds, which the college supported us with? Could we put cameras in the in the hands of these young women? And what would the choices be that they would make to image their own likeness in their own world?
0: Mm-hmm. And this is something that I think is so interesting, watching this documentary, to see what the girls are shooting of themselves and each other, In 2008, 2009, versus where they end up 10 years later in 2016, 17 um, years. uh, Yeah, number of years later. Sheila, I think, is one of the most interesting. Here you have this timid, shy little girl (laughs) with her flute. And then years later, she's a mom and she still has (laughs) dreams. And it's like, okay, what happened to that cute little girl with her flute? And you see, you watch this with each of the girls. And that's something that is so striking is that your wings, it really gave each of them wings while it still let them essentially fly together no matter where life has taken them um you know how how did you know you were going to put this together in a documentary when you started filming and the girls started filming all those years ago we um we do get asked that question
3: (laughs) and the answer is is both yes and no uh it i don't know how else to explain it i've been really blessed Um, to be able to meditate very deeply (laughs) Mm -hmm. so when you're in that very quiet slow down place sometimes you can really feel what's happening and it's happening it's going to be happening with or without you sort of feeling because it's just meant to be and so in the beginning it was really about teaching the skills and, and seeing what was important to the young women to film in their lives but I think there was there was also a part of us that we maybe didn't completely understand why we were coming back each week. Mm-hmm. And so all of this added together, it's like we knew we were on a path for something, which maybe we didn't know what it was all the time, but the film was just happened very naturally and organically.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you know, through the footage that we see in the documentary, Anatomy of Wings, there is a lot of very, very personal and private information that the, that the girls talk about over the years with each other. Was there, and what when they're doing it, at that point in time, be it 2011, 2014, 2012, I don't think they figured that all of this would end up in a compilation at some point uh, down the road, when you were putting this together, was there any kind of trepidation from the girls or yourselves as to what footage to incorporate, what to leave out, and then finding that through line through all of this footage that the girls and yourselves amassed over the years? I, the answer
3: yes, you to can that imagine is adds
0: ab- a lot. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, Nikki, I'm thinking, too, about all the focus group screenings that you put together in response to this question. Can, can you talk about that? Yeah,
4: so me being a new filmmaker, I really wasn't aware that Kirsten had to tell me that, you know, films really don't go through large audience focus groups before they come out. So, I had to figure out like, well, how can this film still be seen by a few people in the community to make sure that we're telling this story in a way that's authentic?
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And so what what we did is we just gathered a few people um, from different makeups in the city, and we also did it in a few other places just to just to make sure that what we were sharing, could be easily stepped into if you were someone who wasn't a part of our group mm-hmm. and and we definitely didn't get it quite right a few times. <laughs> you know people were asking us questions like, "What is this space that you have like why are you even filming in this way and And we ended up using those focus groups to really hone down on like making this message clear and in two thousand nineteen, we had a focus group. Um, a private focus group screening, where we really found out that we got the story right. Like, yes, we have so much to share, um, and, and some of those conversations that we didn't include in the edit um, were definitely important, hard to not keep in, but we had to make it so that the story felt universal and each mm-hmm. character complemented each other. So I think the focus groups were like a big part of us editing down all of that shared content to make it make sense for the whole group's experience.
0: Was there anything that any of the girls said, oh, please don't include that? Or were they all pretty much, okay, go for it, here's footage, use it? Yeah, even I was like, um, please don't include that.
4: (laughs) You know, all of us were like, especially me, I'm like, do I have to cry in every scene? Which I don't, but I do cry in the narration part. You do.
0: You do. But the thing is, it's, I mean, Nakia, it's so genuine. Your emotion is just, just comes through so beautifully. Um, through, through the inter, through the interstitial narrations that you have. Um, and it, everything you're saying comes from your heart, and it really serves to buttress the footage we're seeing of the girls. You know, Cammie, on her first day, she talks about her mom when she's 16, her mom and HIV, and, you know, even even uh, Kata is a mentor. Um, and yeah. that big reveal all of this you cannot watch this and i'm sure for you you could not put this together and not be moved yes and every everything
3: that you're saying um debbie is we you know it's important to know that the young women were also part of the focus groups you know Mm -hmm. and they so they were we had our own focus groups amongst (laughs) ourselves and sharing the editing along the way. And, and there were, you know, maybe some things, um, where people felt like, well, that's more about my family member. So that might not be appropriate. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, all the young women who star in the film were very wanted to be respectful, um, you know, of those around them who had had the courage to be around them as they were being filmed. But, um, See, this was part of our process, actually editing and discussing what should stay in and what should come out was really basically the same thing that we experienced in the classroom together, mm-hmm. the same type of discussion. Yeah. And um, the, the hardest part for all of us is to be so emotional. Um, well, I don't want to give a, um, a spoiler, <laughs> but there is a part of the film where we're all emotional together. And um, yes, a lot there of discussion is. around <laughs> why that was important to keep that scene in the
0: film. You've got a few yeah. scenes like that, Kirsten. You've got you've <laughs> got a few like that that are just so emotional. And one of the great things that this documentary lets us do also, it's not a get in and get out kind of situation. Where, okay, yeah, we'll revisit somebody five years down the road. Okay, we got a five-year reunion coming up. Um, we are watching these girls grow into young women. We are watching them as they go from middle school into high school, in some cases into college, in other cases into motherhood and college. But something that there's a common denominator among all of these girls, that even the ones that have taken a time out to have a child, They still have dreams of a much better life, and they have a plan going forward. And you can see how that has been cultivated within themselves through this process as we see the footage of them talking about themselves and each other over the years. And it's so enlightening um, to see that. I I really commend you on... uh, on the process, not only the 10-year process, but on editing and putting this together so cohesively that it allows us as the audience to really appreciate and feel what the girls are experiencing. Yeah, that has, what you're describing
3: just has so much to do with, um, we, we as a collective of women were able to slow down And take a breath, like literally do deep breathing together and understand that the camera was part of us slowing down so that we could look through the lens and see each other, you know, see and hear each other. And uh, it it sounds so simple in a way. And we've been sharing this. um, We've been sharing how just slowing down and breathing with a group of people (laughs) um how it allows you your it allows your response to others to be deeper than some of the systemic biases you know that are encoded into our society mm-hmm. and it's so simple to do just slow down and breathe together
0: and you really get that you really get that point across through the film nikia how beneficial were, were kirsten's words constantly telling stop Breathe, sit You've got that great exercise That you have the girls do in there Of, of sitting on the chair And right. and Closing their eyes And How beneficial are the, have those things Been for you, Nakia, in your life um, With Kirsten You know, instilling that In you
4: Yeah, it was always a thing Where I learned That The breath was so important in in this kind of work and working with kids and I feel like I, I hadn't realized that that would be something that would stick with me because it was such a routine in way. but I noticed that um, in after school programs that I used to manage I definitely made sure my staff had time to breathe um, the students took time to breathe to de-escalate the situation I know that, you know, I have a one-year-old son now. For my son, we're definitely going to be breathing together. Um, and and I feel like what Kirsten brought to the table um, was having access to that kind of experience and really being able to share it authentically with us in a way that we understood that we could take this tool for ourselves and our lives. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, something beautiful that you also do here. You have some very cinematic elements within this documentary that just stand out and are so beau so beautiful, and they're so quiet. Where we have after after winter and after the holiday uh, potluck and gathering, where thankfully you be- you poor Mister Bentley, the bus driver, he got to participate. Um, <laughs> but you then give us these. Beautiful cinematic images of of springtime, blossoming, color, light, blue skies, the yellow sun, the the little the color, the purple flowers, um, the rebirth. You add these lovely cinematic touches um, at various points of the film, almost as breathing moments for the audience watching, but also the idea of moving forward and that uh, and rebirth whose idea was it to add elements like that to the film
3: i'd like to say it was a a collective sharing you know cuz again we have all of us were filming mm-hmm. and uh i do we do have to give a shout out to our editor trina rodriguez because she was the one who decided that it should happen at a certain point in the film. Okay. You know, that those images uh, come back and, and signify a, a rebirth. Um, but, you know, I guess, Debbie, what I would say is, is if we could image what we were experiencing by being together, like in our collective circle, those would be the images. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, because that's that's what you tap into when there's the courage to really feel what you're feeling, and and to be to be exploring the conditions you know that are needed for the empathetic witnessing that we share together. That's it, in the moments you're feeling the rawness. Of course, it doesn't feel good, but those images really represent what comes afterwards
0: after you have the courage to. To feel that deeply into yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and I have to tell you ladies. I was so excited um, to see all the prom footage in there. Um, because that's such a seminal part of everybody's journey in life. And the pure joy that everybody's cameras captured. And it's incorporated. And kudos to, Dr- to Trina on her editing. She really keeps the energy high and up in the prom and then the graduation uh, segments uh, just so so wonderfully done so wonderfully done you, know, Thank
4: you for that. It's, our film is so heavy that it's so important to have those moments
2: mm-hmm.
4: you know just so people can process what's happening because you know, sometimes these things we're talking about in the film can be things that people might not have thought about in the way that we're presenting it so kind of wanted to that was some of our feedback from the focus <laughs> you know like yeah this is heavy
3: yeah. you know so, thank you and some, something that's really amazing about the prompt footage is that a lot of proms were happening simultaneously so we really had a divide and conquer <laughs> <laughs> and um there so there were undergraduate students who, well, there were filmmakers who were undergraduate students at the time, um, you know, who would help in, uh, excuse me, step in and help out. And I remember some of the undergraduate uh, film students from MICA coming back after helping to film the proms and saying that the sense of family, like the family and neighborhood gathering around the young women as they're preparing for prom and getting ready to leave for prom some of the um, undergraduate students, they had never witnessed um, that before, never had a chance to experience that type of community before. And so, you know, there was, beyond what's actually seen in the film, a lot of people who ended up helping film um, also had these beautiful experiences.
0: Wow. How much footage do you, do you, do you have any idea how much footage you went through? Um, in putting to put this doc, to put anatomy of wings together that is the <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah cuz our our media management enough to make your kind of your eyeballs roll back into your head um, i have lost track of how many hours of footage that we have from from 12 years of filming i know we're have at least 15 16 terabytes of footage
0: oh my god <laughs>
3: If that answers your question,
0: (laughs) Um, that's a heck of a lot of footage. Yes. Oh my God! Wow. And this
3: is before this is before 4K. You know, a lot of this was shot like HDV, and you Mm -hmm. know, in the early years. So this is a lot of footage because it's not even taking up the room that
0: our, uh, our footage these days takes up. Wow, that is that is just, <laughs> that's mind-blowing. How long did it take you to at least go through all the footage and get your first pass done to put this together? <laughs> she laughed. Oh, they both God. laugh. Okay, they're both laughing. <laughs> uh. Yeah,
3: we, you know, well, the truth sure is, Debbie, we've day. been editing since 2008. You know, we first started releasing some little trailers in Mm -hmm. 2008, but there was no way to manage the media without editing all the way along. Right. Um, It just became very clear after the first year of filming. But when we we passed off a rough cut to Trina, it was six hours long.
0: Is that all?
3: Only six? (laughs) Yeah. We we got all that footage down the six hours, and she worked her magic, and she she ended up bringing in things that we didn't realize should be in the six hour edit. But that's kind of how it it all rolled out.
0: So six hours then became eight hours after Trina got her hands on it. It's what, <laughs> right. what you're saying. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, I'm very curious. For we're almost out of time. Um, But I've got to ask each of you, what did you learn about yourself in the journey of making Anatomy of Wings that you can now take forward and are taking forward in life? Nakia, you start.
4: Okay. I think that there's not enough time for me to explain everything. Okay. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) I just feel like I choose one thing every time I talk about it. so. Um, I know that for me, being a mentor in this program was completely mind-blowing and life-changing. I had already been working with kids since I was a kid. I come from a line of family of activists, community activists in East, East Baltimore. So community work is not anything new to me, but the way that this program was structured made me feel empowered to go and work in other programs. The girls were happy to go home when we left Wayne. They were happy to go back into whatever lives they were living, whether it be something that people see for themselves as a good thing or something that's challenging. They were enlightened and they felt good. And what would it be like to just have that kind of space available for more youth, especially in Baltimore but mm-hmm. just across the board for youth who are experiencing hardship. So that's what I took away from the program itself because I started to do that in my, my work. Um, and yeah, I'll be forever changed
0: because of that. And what about, what about you, Kirsten? Yeah, um, well,
3: I did, what the key is saying, everything, ditto, especially about that hopefully this film will result in more space like this for our youth. But as a filmmaker, it's really important for me to say, and especially as a white woman filmmaker, one of the biggest things I learned is that no matter how big your heart is and no matter how pure and um, intentional your ideas are behind filming um, and no matter how amazing a space you can create for, true seeing and hearing that's beyond judgment and beyond expectation it's still a very slippery slope with how you edit your film Mm -hmm. and one of the reasons the focus groups were so incredibly important is because we could have easily edited a film that had it's like white normative defaults right you know we could have made it we could have made it really easy to stay in that criterion that we need to move out of um, at this moment in our cinematic history. And, you know, we were given advice to start our film at eighth grade graduation and end at high school and let the audience come in on, like, you know, see what's at stake and then leave on a high note and and feel good about learning about someone other than yourself. But that's not what this project is about. This is about a truth that um, we need, To be able to come together and and move beyond inequities, not only in our communities but in our cinematic language, because cinema is the foremost grammar, you know, around Mm -hmm. the globe. And um, so, that's my biggest lesson: is um, how you you might be able to film in an incredibly inclusive way where. BIPOC voices are elevated behind and in front of the camera. but the And then the editing, the editing has to, you have to find a way to serve um, that true, you know, it's beyond a, it's beyond an allyship. It's a, a true collaboration in the editing um, to make sure that it's for everyone and we don't accidentally slip into these white normative um, comfort zones
0: Mm -hmm.
3: that's my lesson
0: (laughs) so now i'm thrilled that that the film is in slam dance so now because this is a virtual festival it's not like a typical festival where unless they're doing it with specified uh airing times uh virtually when the film's accessible Can If people buy a ticket for the film or for Slamdance, can they watch Anatomy of Wings at any time during the festival? Or do you have specific time slots when people can watch the film?
4: It's available for the duration of the festival from February 12th to the 21st.
0: And people can buy a ticket and watch it any time from the comfort of their home, from their dining room table, laying in bed. (laughs) <laughs> sitting outside. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. No, it's... I feel like Slamdance is
3: really innovating since we have to be virtual right yeah. now. Slamdance is really innovating and they wanted to make sure this is an incredibly accessible film festival. They They had free tickets up until the new
0: year and now the tickets are only $10. Wow. And you get the whole
3: festival...
0: For ten dollars. Yes. Wow. Wow. That is that is more than a bargain. Right. More, <laughs> more than it's a so bargain. Ah, yes. uh, well, yes. this is definitely one of them. Ah, uh, ladies, <laughs> I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I hope that you will both make more films and come back. Thank you, Debbie. Thank yeah. you oh thank you both and, and good luck audience votes at slam dance too we've got jury prizes okay. and audience prizes so the more people that go spend their ten dollars and get a, a, a ticket to virtually watch the whole festival the better it is Yes. Yeah. oh thank you so much nakia thank you kirsten Thank you, Debbie.
3: It's a really wonderful conversation. Bye
0: bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that was Nakia Redman and Kirsten Deandra Hollander talking about Anatomy of Wings. Starting the twelfth, Slam Dance, ten dollar ticket. You can see the entire festival. Wow. Wow. Oh, amazing. Well, that is definitely all the time we have today. Another good film, 100 Days to Live. It's out there now. See it. Next week, we've got another full house with hopeless romantic and the friendliest town. And how friendly that town is, we're going to find out. So, until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.